it's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Growth Hub podcast brought to you by SaaS marketing agency Advanced B2B. It's your host Edward Ford and joining us today is Ed Fry who works on growth at Hull.io, a customer data platform that syncs all the data your sales and marketing teams need between the tools they use to create one single and centralized customer profile. In this episode, Ed talks to us about the importance of building detailed customer profiles, which allow you to segment, personalize, and automate your sales and marketing at scale. Prior to joining Hull's growth team, Ed was employee number one at inbound.org, the internet's smartest marketing community that was founded by Rand Fishkin of Moz and Dharma Shah of HubSpot. And with close to a quarter of a million members, this is where Ed first ran into the challenge of delivering automated personalization at scale. In addition to these topics, Ed talks to us about what growth really means within the context of B2B SaaS, the importance of defining and building your growth model around your North Star metric, his five-part framework to achieve personalization at scale alongside how he used email to solve this issue at inbound.org, why we should stop using the term marketing stack and use customer stack instead, and the story of how he secured a funding round for inbound.org over lunch with Rand Fishkin and Dharma Shah at MozCon, alongside the tremendous importance of conference beers. Stay tuned for the end of the episode, where Ed shares the five tools he'd use to build his customer stack, alongside his best piece of advice for SaaS growth leaders. So here is episode seven of the Growth Hub podcast with Ed Fry, growth at hull.io. Welcome to the show, everyone, and welcome to the Growth Hub podcast, Ed Fry of Hull.io. Hello. Nice to be here. Yeah, great to have you on the show. Uh, Now, Ed, your title is Growth at Hull.io, and obviously that's something we're super focused on here at the Growth Hub. Mm -hmm. But I think one fundamental question that we should probably start with is actually what is growth? So how do you view and define growth in the context of B2B SaaS? Sure. So I think... In terms of growth, it's not one of these departmental things which we've seen before. It's not sales, it's not marketing, it's not just customer success. It's sitting across all of this and really trying to optimize that entire customer lifecycle. Searching for my own answer for that question, I remember uh, just earlier this this year at Conversion Excel asking Sean Ellis, like, so how do you think about growth? Exactly asking this question. And his answer was, think of that one North Star metric, right? What if your Uber, the number of rides, if your Airbnb, the number of uh, night state. And I think for B2B SaaS companies, which can often be quite complex, it's a case of finding that number. Um, now, my point was, is this MRR? Is this a revenue thing? And it's no, it's not. That's a very business centric, finance centric uh, metric. Sure, it's mm. easy, to, uh, easy to measure, et cetera, but it's nothing to do with your customer really. Like what is the value that they're getting out? So. In the case of, uh, say, different API products, it might be number of API calls. In the case of a product like Hull, it might be the number of connectors, uh, which have been actively used, et cetera. What is the one metric which is delivering value? And then your role is growth, is to raise that. Your role is growth is to optimize that. And that isn't necessarily limited to marketing. That can be part of sales, that can be part of product, that can be part of customer success. 
And really what we see uh, a lot of successful growth teams doing is operating across the whole organization, optimizing and building net new projects, net new initiatives to, to raise this um, in addition to the traditional functions. So that's really where I see growth being and where growth sits. Um, obviously, so a lot of this does end up being nearer to more traditional marketing, but it's not exclusive to, to that. Yeah, so it's not about looking at growth from the perspective of financial numbers such as MRR, but thinking about the value of your product and tying metrics around exactly. that, which exactly. should be sort of how you should drive your growth. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually you, you joined Hull just under a year or so ago. So could you tell us a bit about your platform and what Hull.io does? Sure. So Hull is a customer data platform. So it connects to all the different tools that you're using, your Salesforce, Intercom, your HubSpot, the segment, different analytics tools, your backend database. And it combines all that data into one master profile. And with that master profile, it, you can then sort, segment, and sync that data across all your tools. So now all your tools have the same data, the same segments, the same logic. They can all work uh, as one. Um, and that's really, really exciting in the context of not just optimizing marketing or sales or customer success or support or product, but the whole thing all at once. Um, so that's really quite uh, exciting. I, uh, I came to Hull with this problem. So in my last role at, at Inbound, uh, inbound.org, um, we were trying to do exactly this sort of problem. Um, we had a bunch of really useful, valuable, insightful data in our production database, but all our messaging was going out through HubSpot. And it came a case of a lot of engineering time to connect the two. Um, and whilst we could then get incredible results with it, because we could do this hyper segmentation and we could deliver highly personalized messages to our audiences that were on time and on message, it, it, it took just an inordinate amount of resources. And whilst I think this is the way everyone should be going, it's not realistic, it's not feasible to um, have all that engineering time. So when I saw Hull, which sort of makes this point and click, uh, yeah, this, this, is the way, this is the way it all has to go. People need to become more personal, and a big role in that is being able to harness your customer data effectively. Yeah, exactly. So Hull is basically connecting all that siloed data from the various tools that you're using into one centralized place. And that's pretty much then allowing marketing and sales teams to turn the, the so-called Frankenstack monster, which I know is a term you've used before, into, uh, as you say, the single source of truth, which is obviously a massively valuable solution. And like you just mentioned, one of your main focus areas right now is about how companies can then scale, automate, and personalize uh, their sales and marketing. And you've actually developed a five-part framework for personalization. So could you talk us through this? Sure. So I mean, back, back, this originally came back at Inbound. When we were doing this hyper-segmented uh, personalized email outreach, it started with who we wanted to talk to. We didn't send to everyone. We sent to a very defined audience. We'd do things like segmenting by title and time zone and last activity, et cetera. So at the beginning of the day here in London, when I'd, I'd, I'd be getting started, and I, I had a question which I wanted answered about content strategy, I had people in my time zone in the morning who we hadn't emailed in the past day, 10 days, who was beginning to slip away from their activity, who had answered questions before, who I could reach out to with a highly personalized email and actually get a very high engagement rate. And because we had that time of day, as the US came online a little later in the day, we had all this content and discussion ready for them to get involved with. And this, this is what kind of drove that growth around the clock there. So it starts with who. Who are you talking to? 
rather than starting with just sending any message. Personalization is not, hi, first name. If I yell your name across the room, sure, I can get your attention, but I haven't said anything meaningful. I haven't really got your attention. I haven't got your lasting attention. I haven't found what you care about. So it starts with who you're talking to and really understanding their interests and their needs. And then you can move on to the message, the what part of it. So this is the second part of the framework and really digging down into how you can stretch that message and package it up, which then moves on to the next part where um, you can sort of think of different channels like live chat, like email, like sales, like your website, like ads, but being able to coordinate this all at once. So personalization is not just an interesting chat message or a really insightful uh, sales guy who's reaching out with something very specific, but being able to manage all of this all at once. So the entire company is speaking to you in the way that's most relevant to you, the way that you care about most. Then there's a, the, the, the fourth part of this is when, and when you're able to reach out. Um, being able to leverage the, the value of being immediately relevant. Someone's going around your website, what can you do with live chat? How can you get, how can you personalize your website? How can you follow up with email immediately or personalize different, uh, different pages on there? How can you queue in your sales guys right away? Um, and some of this can be quite hard without having sort of a true grasp of your customer data. And then the final uh, part of the framework is why, and really trying to do this hyper personalization at every single uh, channel that you're operating in across your entire customer lifecycle. So you think of why as like moving from trial to customer or from customer to retain customer or from retain customer to an upsell, like the different stages of your customer lifecycle. So I've got a, uh, a, sort of a longer, um, longer slide deck, which goes into the sort of framework a little bit more, uh, which maybe we can share after the, after the podcast in the links or something. But um, that's the sort of the, the five parts. It starts with who, then, uh, then you def- once you know who you're writing to, you can define what message you send. And then you'd want to roll that across all the channels at the right time at every stage of your customer lifecycle. So that's really how we think about personalization uh, at Hull. Yeah, and, and absolutely, we can share a link in the blog description to that slide deck, which is really good and, and goes very in-depth on this topic. Uh, but actually, you, you briefly touched on this already in your answer, but you actually ran into this problem of automated personalization at scale when you were working at inbound.org. So could you tell us a bit about how you actually used email to solve this uh, challenge? Sure. So as you think about growth again, and uh, so do those metrics which matter. For, for inbound, uh, we, we had a, a lot of members. You, getting new members wasn't the ch- primary problem. Keeping them active was. And there are a number of ways we sort of look to go about this. Some of this product side uh, in terms of feeds and so on and so forth. But email gave us a way we could reach out to people right away. Uh, and after HubSpot uh, sort of acquired Inbound, um, we had access to a HubSpot portal, like the most beta enterprise editions. We could play with all the things. So we might as well use it. So importing all the data into there uh, and trying to use that for email. Now, the challenge we found was trying to get people to participate. Um, when we sort of modeled out this growth, we found about 30% of signups would complete a profile. But the, those with profiles were far more likely to contribute. And the contributors are what drove new discussions. New discussions is what drove weekly active users. Weekly active users drove traffic, which drove the whole thing again. So our objective was to get people to start discussions. But discussions on their own aren't anything. What discussions need 
are other people in that discussion. Someone asking a question which is never answered is not interesting, that's not, not valuable for growth. So it came a, came a question uh, particularly of using email to get questions answered. So we'd build interest-based lists, skills-based lists by time zone, by level of engagement, uh, using all this data which we had in our backend database, using some of the data we had in HubSpot as well as some client-side data, uh, and just compile that all into one. Now, that meant we could reach the right person to answer each question. Uh, and we'd reach out to maybe sort of like 500 people at a time or so. Uh, and they would get sort of a plain text email, sort of like Gmail, uh, which would be so contextual to them because we knew who we were writing to. This was no longer sort of generic spam. And, and that's how we could, we could average about a 10% click rate through to participate. Uh, participation and emailing about 500 people, making sure I had that about that list, that meant I could get a question off the ground so long as I uh, wrote the message in the right way. And if I got that off the ground, for every participant, every active user, we'd get about four more, uh, I have to remember the numbers now, uh, we'd, we'd get double our, sorry, quadruple, 4x, our weekly active users number, which is really the core metric, that, uh, that North Star we're looking at. So using email, we were able to drive the main activity, which drove growth. Um, and this, this wasn't something we were able to do as fast with product. Um, it's really something we started experimenting with a lot with at the beginning of 2016. Um, and we saw a, lo a lot of growth quite quickly by using this technique. Um, so yeah, e email, hyper-segmented email was huge for that. Yeah, and, and you were actually yourself employee number one at inbound.org, which has a very nice ring to it, I have to say. And uh, Inbound was founded by Rand Fishkin of Moz and Dharmesh Shah of HubSpot. And it's grown into a huge community now with, I think it's close to quarter of a million members. Mm. But of course, Rand Fishkin and Dharmesh Shah are two of the biggest names in SaaS. And you've actually mentioned before that the three of you once discussed the project over lunch. I think it was at MozCon 2013, mm. which actually resulted in a round of funding from HubSpot. So could you tell us a bit about that experience and, and also what was it like working with uh, Rand and Dharmesh and, and what were some of the most important things that you learned from them? Sure. So they, they're both very unique, very smart guys. I think they, um, they've suffered from their own success in some ways. Um, being big names means they have, like, they have to deal with things like board meetings and a lot of interviews and a lot of external stuff. Um, and actually what's, what they really love to do is actually get on and build products and build new stuff. Um, and this is Rand is now working on new products at Moz. Dharmesh are equally working on, uh, on uh, new, net new stuff at HubSpot. Um, maybe you've seen the new growth bot. You've probably seen Martin yes. Greger in the past. You've yeah. seen Bound.org. And those are all sort of his sorts of projects. Um, so far as how that came about, um, so I knew Rand uh, previously sort of in SEO circles. Um, so when I interned at Distilled, Distilled ran events uh, called Search Love, uh, which are very high quality uh, search conferences um, where Rand was a regular speaker there um, and sort of getting to know each other in the, uh, <laughs> in the conference bars. Um, and I got into the habit of just pitching him terrible ideas, um, terrible ideas at each sort of conference in the bar. Um, and one of these conferences, one of these ideas was a jobs board for his new project called Inbound.org. Um, and a few months went past and that's what happened. And they turned around and said, look, this project needs someone to sort of manage it. Um, and the jobs board is like, it's an idea, it brings value to the community, et cetera, et cetera. 
here's 500 bucks a month and $12,000 to last indefinitely. Let, let, let's do this. And okay, so it was like the three of us and we've sort of figured out how to bring some uh, developers on board and try and uh, rebuild the platform, et cetera, et cetera. I was very scrappy and early and yeah, so that's really how, how, um, <laughs> how I got involved uh, sort of by pitching things whilst in a conference bar. Uh, and yeah, from there, I think between Mars and HubSpot, like those are their first babies. They're the first child and those took priority. But to have this like orphaned second project was sort of a problem. Inbound was beginning to grow by that sort of July 2013. Darmesh was speaking at MozCon. And so it gave us an opportunity for all of us to get together and actually talk about it. And the decision was, this is ridiculous that I, uh, from, from their, their perspective, it's ridiculous I can't go and pound tables and go and support, get support for this thing because it's not technically in the interest of Moz or HubSpot uh, besides uh, sort of serendipity. Um, and furthermore, like they were funding this personally uh, and it needed that little bit more resource to be able to move forward. So the decision was for either Mars or HubSpot to, to sort of move forward and support it officially. Um, and in the end, sort of the decision was HubSpot was going was gonna to take that role. And that enabled us to sort of expand the team and sort of build a, build a proper platform for it. Um, and yeah, really being able to leverage some of the HubSpot assets, uh, which, which were quite valuable. Um, things like partnering in inbound, things like uh, working with hugs communities, the HubSpot user groups communities, and just reaching sort of different groups and different sorts of people. Um, of course, then the sort of interesting side of being uh, closer to HubSpot, HubSpot, which was just coming up to their IPO. Um, so it's a very interesting time to see inside the big orange company at that time as well. Yeah, that's, it's, that's actually a really good story. And another lesson of the importance of the conference bar and the networking and, and terrible ideas and yes, not being afraid to go and pitch. Um, and actually, if we, if we move back to, to some of the things we were discussing earlier regarding Hull.io, and mm -hmm. uh, I would like to talk about buzzwords. Now, marketers, yes. we love buzzwords. Absolutely. And you've actually said in the past, we should stop using the term marketing stack, and we should instead be using customer stack. Uh, so could you tell us a bit more about what you mean by this? Sure. So... And for those who aren't familiar, there's a guy called Scott Brinker who runs the Chief Martech blog. And this is a great resource for keeping a pulse on what technologies matter, both on an individual level, but also kind of as a trend level. And since 2011, they've put out the uh, Marketech landscape super graphic, which is sort of a, a bewildering like array of logos classified by type. And back in the day, this was sort of hundreds the one they launched at the 2017 at their MarTech conference in San Francisco had over 5,000 tools. And by describing this thing as a marketing stack and you need a marketing stack and a marketing stack is this or that, it's very confusing and it doesn't deliver a way to think about this proactively. It doesn't fit on a to-do list, build marketing stack. Now, there's been some development since then in terms of how we can split this up. Previously, he's described it as sort of a car engine but who actually knows how to build a car engine? It's sort of like, okay, that's something which a lot of things that I know have, but I don't know how to build it. And as marketers, it's our job to build a marketing stack, but there's nothing prescriptive about that term. Now, so much of that marketing stack is about customer data. It ties back to a user profile or a contact profile or a lead profile or whatever. 
uh, ties back to a person. And really what we want to do is think about how that data is used. And this is much simpler and it's much easier to understand. And because it's easy to understand, it's easy to build. A customer stack, it's about sending a message. Sending a message to a person. You track their reactions. Those reactions get recorded into a profile. Whether this is your CRM, your email tool, your ads tool, whatever, it's recorded to a profile. From those profiles, decisions are made to decide actions. Whether this is a sales activity, it is an email workflow, it's an ad audience, or any kind of logic like that, which is just gonna send more messages. You notice this is a closed loop. It's got four steps and you can then be prescriptive in terms of where your gaps are or where you need to optimize. Are you tracking individual activities across every single channel? How are your profiles coming together? How are you able to link your CRM data with your analytics data, with your email data, et cetera? And then how are you able to use this to inform sales activity? Are you able to trigger your sales guys to take action when there's interesting product usage data, for instance, or send intelligent email workflows or enroll people in ad audiences, and then be able to send messages across every single channel, like we talked earlier with the personalization framework, every single channel, whether that's email, live chat, website, ads, sales guys, whatever. I've been able to really think about these four pieces in turn and in depth. Of course, there's more to marketing stacks than that. There's the content side, for instance, there's the finance side, there's some uh, being able to manage the whole process. But like the core of marketing has got to be people first. It's got to be customer first. And this is why you need to think about this closely between messaging, tracking, profiles, and actions. Um, and without that, it, you're sort of sat wandering around, buying into tools which you sort of don't need, you do need. And at Hull, we spend a lot of time looking at companies' technographics, what technologies they use. Um, so we use a tool called uh, That's Nice to do that. And we see so much duplication of functionality. People have umpteen email tools, umpteen live chat tools, sometimes in the same page. Like one in, I think it's one in nine intercom users have another live chat tool. It's crazy. And why are people doing this? Why? Because they're confused and they don't know how to build this out. Or the customer support and success team has purchased this tool, but marketing has purchased another tool to do the same thing. Like this, this shouldn't be the case. And once you have this closed loop, this really operates at every stage of the customer lifecycle, whether it is uh, from early stage leads through to opportunities closing those sales through the uh, entire customer lifecycle after the purchase as well. You're sending messages, tracking their reactions into a profile to decide actions. And that's really where um, you get quite powerful results by combining all that and uh, using that across the entire customer lifecycle. Okay, so we all need to start thinking now customer first rather than marketing first when it comes to our stacks. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and actually, if we think a bit about uh, Hull.io's growth over the last year or so while you've been working there, uh, could you tell us what, what has actually been your North Star growth metric alongside mm -hmm. some of the most effective uh, strategies and tactics that you've used to grow the business and also how you actually use Hull.io as part of your own growth model? Sure. So, so there's a little context on Hull. So Hull is a Techstars 2013 startup uh, and has pivoted a couple of times through that. Um, a couple of months before I joined, it moved from a Shopify e-commerce social login tool, again, all about consuming data and being able to do stuff with that, but moved to this B2B SaaS model. Um, there's a couple of reasons for that, but largely you have tools like Salesforce, you have analytics tools, you have some backend database, et cetera. There's a lot more value in different tools. There's a dollar value on each contact. 
and it's far more distributed. Whereas with, with e-commerce or something like that, most of this boils back down to your Shopify or your big commerce or your, your basic e-commerce tools. So it was a pivot uh, just before I joined. So when I joined, it was early days on this B2B piece. So in terms of our own growth model, it really started by understanding our customer, I, as does all personalization, but understanding what use cases mattered, what messaging mattered, and how we could communicate that and, and grow from there. So in our own story, it's, it's, it's a mix of having this uh, established business, which was, you know, not like didn't have like the hundred million uh, dollar sort of potential necessarily compared with this B2B SaaS, SaaS model. Uh, and really one of my early roles was actually trying to figure out, okay, how do we dig into this, this new space? So given that a lot of our focus has been on defining use case and defining messaging. Um, and actually just yesterday, uh, we republished a website uh, with this much more simplified messaging. Um, previously, our website really became a testing ground for sharing and trying different sorts of messaging. Um, the nature of a customer data platform like Carl is there's tons of different use cases you can use it for. And what we actually tried to do was publish these use cases, sort of like a mini tutorial, and see which ones would stick. This sort of gave us a way of like, does anything here interest you? And we could sort of see, uh, based on what our existing customers were doing, whether other lookalike customers uh, would be interested in buying. Um, the, that was helpful to some extent, but it also became very overwhelming for a lot of the market. And so this new website and this new messaging is much more simplified. Um, so really that's start by defining your customer, start by finding your ideal customer profile, what matters to them, and then try and fat, uh, fit in that messaging to, uh, to make that happen. Yeah, and this actually seems to be a common problem for some B2B SaaS companies. I know Trello had this issue regarding their value proposition and messaging since it's used in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. I was speaking to Typeform's director of growth uh, earlier in this podcast yes. series, and he was also saying that they have this challenge because Typeforms, you know, are used in many different creative ways, which is, you know, a blessing, but it's also a curse when it comes to communicating what it actually is. So what did you decide to go with when it came to your value proposition and messaging mm -hmm. uh, on the new, newly relaunched Hull website? Sure. So there's lots of moving parts of the customer data platform, there's lots of logic involved there. The trouble is if you describe that logic and you describe how the engine works, this is interesting, but it's not quick, clean, and concise. Whereas there is one thing which is very clear and people did get very quickly, and we could see this in the numbers when we tested it. And that is the idea of one profile to power them all, one profile built from everything else, always up to date, always in real time. and from that profile, you're able to compute new stuff, you compute new logic, you can manage all this stuff, but it ties back to something about one person. So for you, I know everything about you according to every single tool. That is the thing which people could understand and be, could be communicated. And if I wanted to, you know, uh, then sync that to any other tool, whether that's like an optimizely audience or a live chat or your CRM or whatever, this idea of like, let's sync this profile to that profile and make sure they're always in sync and always the most up-to-date version, this became much clearer. And so if you look at the, uh, the new Hull website now, this is sort of consistent throughout this idea of one master profile uh, at the heart of everything. The coolest thing we've seen is when people describe their 
their marketing stacks, their customer stacks now, they draw it as a spider diagram. So they put hull in the middle. This is the best thing. So one of our customers mentioned did this uh, when they were asked by other people in uh, so mentions based in Paris. They were asked by mm. sort of the B two B SaaS uh, marketers there how they describe it, and it's hull in the middle with everything else pointing into it, and that's so much clearer than you know all this business logic and sort of layer of intelligence and all these just individual random recipes like this this is confusing it's very hard to actually understand what the hull does so actually finding that really simple concept that could be communicated to the people who who want to buy that um so that that that's kind of the, sort of the final stage um and then actually being able to use that in anger um how we use hull itself um so a big source of data for B2B SaaS companies is enrichment. Uh, to be able to plug into tools like Clivit and Datanize so we can get firmographics, what a company is, their industry, different tags, their descriptions to describe them. I would Datanize their up-to-date technologies, including technologies out the page. So something like Salesforce or your database can't be scraped from the internet, uh, but they use uh, natural language processing and all sorts of backend. So we have that, that data there. Now, using that data, we're able to enrich demo requests uh, and target people with, with our outbound uh, sales efforts very, very precisely, and we're able to reach them with the messaging that matters to them. Uh, if you're using certain technologies which have certain plus, uh, pros and cons, we're able to reach you and, uh, and reach you with the, the pain points that we know are specific to, that, to those use cases. If you're in sales and you're using Intercom and you have Salesforce, you damn well want that intercom and Salesforce data connected and perhaps enriched with other data as well, like Clearbit. Um, and that ought to work, uh, to work seamlessly and effectively. Yeah, and I really like the, the messaging, one customer profile to rule them all. So I guess the typical Hull user is also a fan of the Lord of the Rings. Or... So I don't know about that, but um, it, we could see... So what, one of the ways which I tested the different ad, uh, microcopies, so these short lines, was to use Twitter ads. Uh, and Twitter ads to a target audience, not just to any audience or just leave it on the website where we get uh, maybe some qualified and unqualified traffic, but to pay to put it in front of the right people. Uh, this was sort of a version and variant which came up on top. Um, and then doing some separate user testing, just running it past different marketing friends, like actually in some cases just putting out on Twitter or LinkedIn just saying, can anyone give some feedback on this? Uh, it helps having run inbound, so you've got a few, uh, a lot of copywriters could could could, um, could chime in, etc. Um, and that's where you turn from one profile to power them all to one customer profile. Just make it really clear that this is about customer data, uh, lead data, etc. And that's really what, what we leave with. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. And uh, actually, now if we move on to the final part of the interview, and this is where we ask mm -hmm. uh, the same two questions to all our guests. And firstly, of course. Well, you guys know more than anyone just how many great tools there are out there for SaaS growth leaders. But if you yeah. had to pick five as part of your customer stack, uh, which would you choose? Sure. Um, so, I mean, Hull's got to tie them all together, so that has to go number five. I, yeah. think, <laughs> I think there's... Um, when we, we get asked this question quite a lot, not necessarily like what's your top five tools, but what tools do I need for X, Y, or Z? And there are some very common use cases which you have to address. Um, less is more because it just reduces the complexity going on. So tools like Intercom, 
have been very valuable for doing multiple things. It solves for customer support and success, but it also solves for that marketing sales side as well, being able to talk to leads on a website as well as uh, existing customers. Um, so I'd definitely put Intercom in there. Uh, there are some similar sort of companies, but um, I think Intercom's executed, executed well there. So that'd be number one. Segment. Uh, so Segment is an analytics tracking tool. It's not like Google Analytics or Mixpanel or that kind of, uh, those kind of products in the sense that they do analysis. But what they do do is track once and send everywhere, uh, including to Hull. Um, this means instead of writing your analytics tracking plan in however many tools you're using, you just use segment once and then you can pipe that data effectively onwards. Um, so it's very, very good for tracking. That, that tracking stage of the customer stack where you've got uh, yeah, data in the page, that segment is very valuable for uh, opening that up to a lot of different tools. So that'd be my second one. Third, Clearbit. Um, so of the data enrichment tools that we use, we find Clearbit um, and other customers tell us this, Clearbit to be one of the better uh, enrichment tools. Um, but one, their range of products. Uh, so it's as an API service, they, they will enable you to uh, find and prospect for domains uh, and accounts. So show me accounts which are within this industry or this thing or whatever, but then also be able to enrich those, uh, those, those profiles, those individuals and accounts to get more data about those. So when you get a demo request, enrich it with Clearbit, you now know what industry they're in, what uh, company size, et cetera. And this is very, very important for lead qualification and targeting, et cetera. Um, they also got a new API called uh, Reveal, um, and this returns a company to an IP address. So now you can start to do cool things like uh, anonymous personalization. Uh, so someone lands on your website, and you're able to say, hey, Distilled, I noticed using this technology, this technology, and this technology. How can we help you at Hull uh, by combining all these different data sources together? So Clearbit is probably one of the most interesting um, data sources uh, and unlike other data sources, they're very good on the mid-market. Um, so some of the smaller businesses, which is where the volume is, I think. Um, so that's very interesting to B2B. Um, number four, I'm going to disappoint you, but Google Sheets, particularly with some, some <laughs> of their, uh, this is get scrappy, but some of their the functions like uh, import XML. Um, this lets me do some really scrappy, <laughs> scrappy scraping and stuff. Like, I'm not a developer. I'm not that kind of person. I don't have that skill, but I can write uh, pretty advanced import XML queries and do stuff with that, which enables me to get an idea of things pretty quickly without having to involve any analysis. So it turn, turns uh, makes data a lot more accessible quite quickly. Um, I wrote, I think, a post on my personal blog about building like really scrappy minimum viable products using Google Sheets and, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, as distasteful as an answer is that is your question <laughs> uh, google sheets has got to be uh, got to be in there just because it, it does enable you to do quite a lot and then yeah finally hull um a lot a lot of our customers say they just couldn't do what they do with without it um and if i had this at inbound uh we'd have been able to do so much more uh with, without the engineering overhead as well so i don't can't don't want to think about how much like engineering hours we spent on the <laughs> on our use case there but uh yeah, it's, it's an incredibly powerful tool. I equate it, the whole customer data platform space is very similar to where marketing automation was 10 years ago. Like people knew about email, they knew about blogging, et cetera, but actually to combine this all into one platform. Uh, and now you wouldn't think about not using a marketing automation tool. Uh, and if you said no, you'd be trying to put together the same kind of functionality. 
these days with 5,000 plus marketing tools and similar story with sales tools, et cetera, you've got to think about how they can all work together. Because it's not just about the tools working together, it's really the teams that, work, that run them working together. Does your ads guy talk to your email guy, talk to your sales guy, talk to your customer success team? Because are they even running on this, off, the same, uh, off the same sheet or is, are they working on very fragmented, siloed data? So this would be by probably my five, I'd say Intercom, Segment, Clearbit, Google Sheets, how? Yeah, that's a really good combo. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with Google Sheets. Let's just say that. So. Yep. <laughs> and, and finally, the last question would be, what is your one piece of advice that you would share with other SaaS growth leaders? So again, this is like really disappointing, but really true. Uh, sort of like the Google Sheets thing. It's just do less, focus on less uh, and do it better. Um, this is something which Darmesh says. This is something which our best, most picky customers say. Um, and really, this is, this is my experience as well. Like when you do less, like you just focus on email or you just focus on getting X type of content out, you just do that. Rather be totally overwhelmed uh, with requests and ideas from your team. And so your CEO sees this and your sales guys see that and they're like, oh, we should totally be doing this. And yes, you're absolutely right, but not now. It goes in the backlog and I've got to focus on this. Um, I forget what it's called, but Damesh just has uh, a blog post on this, like do fewer things better.com. That redirects to his, but I think that's correct. We can add the link to... Um, uh, link to the post afterwards, but do fewer things better.com is basically his just manifesto of like doing less. Uh, and of course, this is frustrating if you're on the other end of it. Like, I've pitched countless ideas to Darmesh where he's like, Yeah, no, um, but nicely in, a, in the Darmesh uh, sort of way, it's like, do fewer things better, like focus, 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 focus. And it's so true, it's so frustrating. It's a constant conflict. Um, the alternative is uh, move to a land with sort of 28 hours a day eight days a week and then you, you have more time. That's not the reality. Um, so you have to do a few things. Yeah, excellent advice. And we'll definitely link to that blog post in the blog description. But Ed, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. You're welcome. It's been good fun. Thank you. That was Ed Fry of Hull. And make sure you check out hull.io so you can start building better customer profiles for your sales and marketing teams. You can also follow Ed on Twitter at EdFryEd. And you can find all the links to the articles we discussed in the episode description on the Growth Hub blog. So thank you for listening to the Growth Hub podcast brought to you by SaaS marketing agency Advance B2B. And make sure you check out the Growth Hub at advancedb2b.com slash the growth hub for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different things.